Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We are celebrating Epiphany today, even though Epiphany was officially yesterday. Epiphany is simply the preaching of Christmas to the whole world. The beautiful fact that Christmas is for everyone. Our celebration of Christmas the last 12 days should instill in us the confidence of history. It happened. We know where in Bethlehem. We know when in the reign of Caesar Augustus when Quirinius was governor of Syria. We know the circumstances. A census ordered by Caesar Augustus. Really unparalleled historical detail for a birth in the ancient world. And finally, we know who and why. Jesus was born, the Savior, God in human flesh, to live our life and die our death and bear our sins and open the way to everlasting life. But you notice that it all happened in a little town inhabited by Jews over 6,000 miles away from here. And all the characters are Jews. Mary, Joseph, the shepherd, all Jews. Jesus himself, a Jew. We do not think of this often enough because we do not read our Old Testament enough. The Christ was promised to the Jews. He is called King of the Jews. He came to save his people. Even Jesus says this to the Syrophoenician woman. The Son of Man was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. St. John stresses it in the Christmas Day reading. He came to his own. St. Paul stresses it too when he says to the Jew first. But as often as the Bible stresses that Christ came to save his people Israel, it stresses even more that he came for all. This is the message of Epiphany, but we see it already on Christmas. What does the angel tell the Jewish shepherds? I give you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, everyone. What do the angels then sing in chorus? Glory to God in the highest, and peace, goodwill to men, to all men, to all people. What did we hear Simeon confess last Sunday, and what do we sing every Sunday after communion? A light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. The Gentiles are all the peoples that aren't Jews, everyone, all nations, You know the song, red and yellow, black and white. (laughs) Thank you. All shades of melanin, everyone. Jesus comes for them. And we could go on and on quoting Bible passage after Bible passage, that prophecy and confess, that prophesy and confess, Jesus has come Not only for the Jews, but for all people, which means for you and for me. That he has not only taken on Jewish flesh, but my flesh and your flesh, human flesh. And as many as receive him, he gives power to become children of God. And that is the point of Epiphany. 
Epiphany is the for you of Christmas. It is the preaching of Christmas to you. But it does you no good at all that all this actually happened in Bethlehem. That it is fact. That it is history. Unless you trust this history took place for you. The wise men teach us how to do this. And Herod teaches us how not to do it. So let us start with Herod. King Herod the Great is a perfect example of what we will call what we all call a worldly person. He is obsessed with the things of this world. He is obsessed with his reputation, with his power, with his money. It is not simply that he does not care about things like forgiveness or peace with God or righteousness or eternal life. It is that his mind is incapable of thinking in these categories. So let me tell you a little bit about Herod, if you don't already know. He thought of himself as the king of the Jews. He was not a Jew himself. He was an Edomite, which means he was descended not from Jacob, not from Israel, but from, a little louder, Esau, correct. And he also was not much of a king. He was a Roman vassal king. That means he served as king of Judea only at the pleasure of the Roman emperor. So things are complicated for Herod. He wants power above all else. And he is terrified that he might lose it. Power, wealth, reputation, these are his gods. What he loves more than anything, what he fears losing more than anything, and what he trusts in with all his heart. So when he hears about Jesus, and this is the point, when he hears about Jesus, he can see him only in a worldly way, only as a competition with his worldly pursuits. Herod is king of the Jews politically in a worldly way, and Jesus is king in an entirely different way. He is the king who brings not earthly peace, but peace with God. Not earthly wealth, but the wealth of innocence and forgiveness with God. Not worldly reputation, but a good name in heaven. But Herod is worldly, so he cannot think of a king or a kingdom in this way. So he makes Jesus his enemy. Now I am focusing in on Herod because his type of thinking is dominant in our day. People only think about earthly things. People will invest for a future retirement that will last maybe 20 years and then ignore the very idea of heaven and resurrection that will last forever. They will be obsessed with reputation and be enraged when people talk bad about them and be ecstatic when people say good things about them, but have no care at all what God may think of them, what their reputation with him is. They will work and sweat and obsess about money or some earthly pleasure and never think about the pleasure of knowing the God who created them and being reconciled with him. And then when confronted with Jesus, there's either total apathy. Who cares? What can he give me now? He is, how is he going to make my life better? Or, and this happens all too often, 
People believe in him only because they want more pleasure. Because living forever sounds like such a good thing. But the desire for forgiveness, for peace with God, for living a righteous life and finally in heaven being cleansed from all sin and loving perfectly. These things that Jesus actually comes to bring are far from their mind. Herod died, and in death he lost everything he trusted in. It was all an illusion. Ridiculous things to trust in and love. His power was gone. He could not take his wealth with him. He could not defend his reputation anymore either. That is all this world is going to give you in the end. Nothing. Moths and rust. But God, the very God Herod ignored, the very God he persecuted, there is no ignoring him after death. He remains no matter how much Herod disregarded him in this life. We all meet our maker. So this epiphany, let us look at our lives and our hearts, see what we obsess over, see how worldly-minded we can be, compare ourselves to Herod, and repent. God, help us. He gives us so much to enjoy on this earth, and you should work hard and earn money and save it for your future. You should enjoy what God gives you, the good things in life, kids and spouse and food and drink and family and friends. You should take care of your life so that you have a good reputation. You should take care of your These things, you should care about these things. Don't get me wrong. God tells you to care about these things. But he tells you to care about them as Christians. And that means enjoying them and caring about them as gifts from God. The same God who created you and requires of you a righteousness you have not lived. A righteousness and an innocence and a good relationship with him that you desperately need above everything else. That gives meaning to everything else in your life. And that you can only get from your Lord Jesus. And this is where we need to learn from the wise men. What is so striking about these men is that they are single-minded in their pursuit. They leave homes, studies, jobs if they have them, family, everything. And they travel hundreds of miles, months of travel with the sole purpose of worshiping the child Jesus. It is not simply one concern among many for them. It is the concern of their life, period. The reason they get up in the morning, the reason they do everything else, because they want to see the Christ child and worship him. There is our example of faith. And it is more than this. Look at how they go about it. First, they clearly studied the Bible. That is how they found out that the Christ was born. They saw the star appear and they knew that it meant that the Christ was born. That this was the birth of Christ, the King of the Jews. Because the Bible says so. It is the prophecy of Balaam in Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. 
So there is the first point, that true worship of Jesus begins with the Bible. It does not begin with your emotional experience. It will give you one, but it certainly does not begin there. It begins with God's word, which is outside of you. The wise men actually illustrate this again when they come to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem because they figure that this is where the king will be born. It's the capital. It's where kings should be. So here they use their reason and they go to the wrong place. So it is not emotions and it is not reason. Smarts that will get you to Jesus. It is the Bible. That is how they know how to get to Bethlehem. Because all the Bible scholars in Jerusalem find the prophecy of Micah that says that Christ will be born in Bethlehem. Now, that is not to say that Christians do not use our reason. We do. The wise men did. They got pretty close to Bethlehem, right? They got to Jerusalem just a few miles away, and they did that in part by using their reason. But it did not get them all the way. It did not get them to Jesus. And the same goes for us. Can you figure out that God exists using your reason? Absolutely. The Bible says so. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Look at Psalm, look at St. Paul's beautiful argument in Romans 1, where he says that everyone is without excuse because they all should know God exists from their reason, from seeing that everything that exists had been to be made, that they should be worshiping their creator. Reason will also tell you that there is a difference between right and wrong. That marriage between one man and one woman is good. That homosexuality is bad. It will tell you that staying true to your spouse is good. That working hard is good. Reason will tell you to obey authorities. To keep your hands from murder and stealing. But reason has its limits. Both because we are sinners and because it just does. You cannot find Jesus with it. And that is a huge limit. Instead, you need the Bible, just like the wise men did. And that, that is what made them wise. God's word. That is how they got to Bethlehem. That is how they got to worship Jesus. And it is how you get there too, by listening to God's word, which points to Jesus. But why? Why go to Jesus? Why be so single-minded about it? Why care so much about what the Bible says about him? Why mimic the wise men? The scene of the wise men bowing before the baby Jesus with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh is so precious. It teaches us so much about what worship is and why Jesus matters. These are not just nice gifts. They are not just expensive gifts. They are given for very specific reasons. Each gift is a confession. First, they give him gold because he is king. They want him to rule over them. We are all ruled. Freedom in the sinful world is something of an illusion. Either we are ruled by our desires, by what we want, by our sins, by our fears, or we are ruled by Jesus who forgives our sins and gives us peace. The wise men want to be ruled by Jesus. They do not want to be ruled by their desire for wealth or for a good reputation or for power or for sex or for anything else that dominates the human mind. 
They want to be ruled by Jesus, by the forgiveness of their sins, by the God who created them and who is now at peace with them. The only true freedom is to be ruled by Jesus, to have Jesus as king, as God created us to be. Second, they give him incense. Let my prayers rise before you as incense, we sing to God from Psalm 141. And so the wise men confess Jesus is God. This baby is God. God has become a man. God is not some distant power way out there. He is not what my mind or my emotions think him up to be. He is this very specific Jesus who has existed from eternity, but was born a baby in Bethlehem. And so they give him myrrh. This is a burial perfume. It is what Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus the Pharisee used to anoint Jesus' dead body when they took it from the cross. And this, the wise men know, is why God has become a baby, why they worship him, want him to rule over them, acknowledge him as their one and only God why they have traveled hundreds of miles to lay eyes on him, because he has come to die for them, to bear their sins away, to take the punishment they deserved on himself, to win them the wealth of God's love, the honor of being reconciled to him, the power to become children of God. And so we worship the Christ. He is king of the Jews. That is what was written on the cross above his bleeding head. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. But he is our king. Because it is from that cross that he draws all nations to himself. As he himself says. The body and the blood that were once laid in a manger. And then about 30 years later given and shed on the cross. What drew the wise men. It still draws us. Our God has come for us, for us. He has humbled himself for us. He has spilt his blood for us. And his word calls us to draw near and receive him. There is no greater treasure. There is no wealth or power or reputation we could possibly want above this. Here in Christ's blood shed for you is God's pledge of peace. His oath that this is his pleasure, his glory, his greatest desire to give you his spirit. To teach you his word. To feed you with his very body and very blood. To forgive you. To make you his friend. To make you his heir to assure you that nothing can sever you from him and that you will see him finally face to face to enjoy the pure joys of God forever. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.